0: Hey, we are glad that you are here today. If you wish you could be somewhere else during spring break, I'm sorry you weren't able to go. Hey, but we're glad that you are here. Where else can you come and leave smelling like you were at a bonfire? I mean, there's not a lot of places you can do that. Uh, The smell that you perhaps have been noticing, uh, there's some brush burning that's going on outside and uh, no need to be alarmed. There's nothing happening inside. It's all out, Uh, but you will leave and people will be asking, so what did you do at church today? You're like, well we roasted marshmallows. I mean, we had this great time. It was really good. Hey, we are very glad that you are here with us uh, today. Uh, For those of you who uh, were um, traveling and who have been on the road, we are grateful uh, for your safety. And if you're going to be traveling this week, uh, please be careful as you are out and about, perhaps enjoying some time off with your your family. Uh, Last week, we continued in our a series called A Love Worth Giving as we are going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, looking at what love is and how it should be lived out in our lives. And you might remember that last week we talked about how that, that love is not easily angered. But apparently we angered NBC Universal last week. Uh, now, you might uh, not be aware of this, but you are able to go online and watch our uh, services— uh, either, either during the service, you can be uh, on trips. Maybe some of you right now are watching on your spring break. Uh, maybe some of you are sick at home and you are watching. You can go to our website at eastbrainerchurch.org and you can click on EB Live and you can watch our services each Sunday. You can also go to EB Live during the week and you can pull up the service that has been recorded, unless you anger EBC Universal which apparently I did last week when I showed the intro clip to The Incredible Hulk. Who knew that a show from the 70s, uh, NBC still tracked online for its copyright infringement. (laughs) And so if you were trying to go and catch up, maybe you were gone, maybe you wanted to uh, to watch the service again, maybe you wanted to go back over something that was talked about in our study, and you pulled it up, and it says, "We're sorry, you cannot view this program because of copyright infringement." Um, <laughs> that was on the preacher. All right, that was uh, that was on me, and <laughs> my bad. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, uh, here's hoping that NBC Universal is paying attention this week. L- let's look at our scripture. How about we start at the beginning, and and when we get to the part in blue, would you just say that out real loud with me? You ready? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. NBC, are you listening? Church, are you listening this morning? Keeps no record of wrongs. I like the way William Barclay wrote in his commentary about this. He said, love does not store up the memory of any wrong he has received doesn't store up the memory of any wrong that he has received. I don't know how many of you grew up like I did, but I had grandparents who had a garden. We also had a garden at my my house as well. But I can remember going uh, to my grandparents, and I can remember uh, watching as the the yard in the back was being tilled up and prepared for the seeds to be put in. And, and I can remember uh, going and we would pull up into the yard and, and you would be looking for my grandparents and they weren't in the house because they were out back and they were back there in the garden and, and they were walking through. My grandmother had her garden shoes. Maybe some of your family have similar memories. Well, every, once everything would come in from the garden, it would be taken into the house it would be taken into the house, into the kitchen, and it would be sliced and diced. Or, or maybe before it even got to the kitchen, it would be set out on the front porch. Maybe you can remember driving up to your family's old home place, and, and there would be a relative sitting on that porch with a, a, big, a big bowl in their lap, and they would be snapping peas. They would be working feverishly, trying to, to get those peas ready for what? For, for canning. Anybody remember people that used to can? That doesn't happen as as much anymore, but I see a lot of you are raising your hands. Anybody remember something like this? Right? Does that bring back some memories? Maybe some of you go, hey, that still looks like my house right there. Maybe it does. And I can remember there was a closet in my grandmother's kitchen. And there on the top shelves in that closet would be different things that had been canned and Things that wanted to be kept. And, and I can remember the, where the jars would set. And I can remember where uh, the lids would, would be kept. And I can remember how that there was an old piece of cloth that the, the lids would be hung on. And that cloth would be tied. And that way you wouldn't lose those lids. And, and so now anytime you run across one of these, what is this? Mason jar. Some of you think it's what you drink out of at Cracker Barrel. Before you drank out of it at Cracker Barrel, it was was something that was used by many families in order to to store up. It was something that was used in order to to keep things that you, you didn't want to lose, that you did not want to spoil. And so, you would plant the garden and you would wait for the crop to come in. You would then go about the process of preparing those foods and putting them into the jars and then storing them up in the closets, maybe down in the cellar. And then there would come the time when, when a, a meal would be needed, when it would be time that friends and family were coming over. And maybe, maybe you were the one that was asked to go down into the cellar and grab the certain jar. Maybe it was your job to go and pull the chair up to the closet and reach up as high as you could to that top shelf for that jar of pear preserves. I know what it means to store up, but I also know what it means to store up hurts and wrongs. You see, I think we treat life a lot like my grandparents treated their garden and treated the foods that they would want to save for for later times. Pain comes into our world, but rather than deal with it quickly, Instead, we decide that we will take it home with us. We'll cut it up. We'll stew over it a little bit, and then when we have really worked everything up and we've got a good mad up in our life, we take the emotion and we go to the bottle, and we just start storing things up. Maybe you've got one of these in your life, and you don't even you don't even realize it—a jar where you keep all of of your hurts. You had a distant father. You tried to please him, but you're just not sure if you ever could. You're not sure if you ever will. In all the times that you wanted to have the conversations, all of those times that you wanted to be able to just set things straight but you were not able to, the times when you had the conversations and it did not go the way that you wished that it would, that pain goes into the jar. and. You just keep it there. Maybe it's the critical mother. Nothing ever seemed to be right. You didn't dress right, you didn't talk right, you never sat up straight enough, you never made the right choices, and into the jar it goes. For later, for that time when you just need to pull it down and to to remember. Remember the hurt and remember the pain. Maybe it was that boss who was just overbearing, who always asked for more, needed you to stay later, needed you to take on one more project. Always something else to do, except it seems like you never were the one to get the credit for it. It always went to somebody else. Somebody else was rewarded. Somebody else was given the promotion. Somebody else was praised. Maybe you understand what it means to store up All the things said or not said by that ungrateful child. All the times you went to ball games. All the times that you tried to make life easier. All the times that you cooked and you cleaned. All the times that you stayed up late at night. And yet, you never got a thank you. It never seemed like anything was enough. never seemed like they appreciated the things that you did. Maybe in your jar, you've got all the memories of the ungrateful spouse. The unfaithful spouse, even. Didn't appreciate who you were. Thought things might be easier on the other side. In fact, the grass was always greener there. Maybe it started as a look at the office. Maybe it was just a text here, a phone call there. There was distance that was coming between you, for sure. There were hurtful things that were said. You tried to put things back together. You went to counseling. Tried the whole process and nothing worked. But you've got your jar and inside is every, every Miss Valentine's, every argument. You've got inside the feelings that you had the first time you found out, the first time you confronted her, the first time he told you the truth. And it just sits there in the closet of your heart. Maybe it was an unkind church member. You know, church is supposed to be different. Church is supposed to have different attitudes. Church is supposed to have different priorities. You could understand being hurt by someone that you work with, maybe even a neighbor, perhaps even a family member. But people at church, I mean, they're supposed to be different. They're supposed to be love, and they're supposed to be caring and concerned. Why would they act in the way that they have? Why would they say what they said about you? Why did they treat your child the way that they did? Maybe it was the coach. You played just as hard as everybody else, but for whatever reason, he didn't think, she didn't think that your effort was good enough. And so, you were told maybe often that you just couldn't be on the team. Maybe it was a friend. Someone that you counted on, someone you depended on, you spent long hours with. You always were trying to make sure that, that their marriage was strong, that, that their kids were, were well. You always tried to make sure that you were there for them whenever they needed you. And then when you were in need, you haven't forgotten it's in your jar. You want one of these? I'm sure you could put your own down if the things that I mentioned didn't cover you. And you have. You, you've taken your own personal sticky notes and you've, you've written down the different hurts and the different pains and, and you've put them here in the jar and you've put the lid on it and you've taken it and you've stored it away for a rainy day, for that time when you run across the person who wronged you. For that time when you need to be reminded about your own righteousness and how you are better than than others. And so, you just keep that and you just hold on to that, you just hold on to that jar. Have you ever wondered why people sometimes are so negative? I mean, you would be too if you stored away every single hurt, every single inconvenience, every time you were wronged. Ever wonder why some people are so prejudiced? You would be too if you cataloged your pain according to gender or accent or or skin color. And then every time you saw someone who, who looked like her or who talked like him, you just bring the jar down and you just open it up. And no wonder. Ever wonder why so people are so sour? You would be too. If you spent all of your time harvesting your hurts and storing them away. Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. You want to know why so many mouths are so mean? I think it's because so many hearts are so full. So full of all the wrongs. So full of all the injustice. So full of every email that had been sent that was critical. So full of every time they had been passed over. So full of every hurtful word. So full of every time any wrong was done. And then Paul comes along and says, listen, if you love, you got to empty your jar." He said, if you really love, if you're going to be a person that says, I am of Christ, and because Christ loved me, I love others, he says, you can't keep a record of wrongs. You can't do it. And it hits us right between the eyes. Some of you have come to me over the last few weeks and jokingly talked about how that we must have your house bugged or something because of the things that we're talking about really hit so close to home. And as I remind you often uh, we do have your house bugged. But um, it's, not, it's not why we did the lesson necessarily. We just do that. Um, but you've talked about how that these things we're discussing in the, the Scriptures that we're looking at from First Corinthians 13, how they're just coming so close to you. And I think it's because as As God looks down at His people and as He talks about the the attitudes we're supposed to have and the lifestyle we're supposed to live, and when He uses this idea of love, He begins to hammer in on the very essence of our humanity because He's trying to get across the point to us that you cannot love without Him. You get that? See, we're told that it was not us that came up with the idea of love. We're told in Scripture that love was God's idea. We love because He first loved us. And He demonstrated that love through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In John's writing to the church, he would say that because you have experienced this love, because you have experienced the love of Jesus Christ, he says, then you too should love one another. Trying to get across the point that, listen, love comes from God. What do we do on our own? We're impatient. We're unkind. We boast. We dishonor others. We're selfish. Oh, and we're angered so easily. And left to our own devices, we store up all the wrongs that have ever come our way. Why have these lessons hit you? It's not because of anything I've said but it's because God has been reminding you of how much you need Him. It's not necessarily how much you lack. It's not about what a bad person you are. It's not about how far you have fallen. But what God has been trying to get across is just how much you need Him in your life. Because without Him in your life, there is no hope of living in this way we will all keep the record of wrongs. And so I want you to understand this morning that it doesn't have to be this way. We can actually choose what enters into our hearts. And rather than, than store up the record of wrongs, we can, we can fill up. I like the way the message paraphrase puts Philippians 4 and verse 8. It says, you'll be best by filling your minds and meditating on, the, on things true and noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. You see, rather than storing up those things that are sour, Scripture says, listen, why don't we store up those things that are sweet? We cannot, we cannot escape, we cannot avoid getting hurt, but you can avoid letting your hurts hurt you. You see, if you're the person that's living with this jar, if you're the one that has been storing up all of the wrongs and all the things that have been festering in your life, then do you find yourself becoming more and more irritable? Do you see yourself being a little bit more touchy? Is the closet of your heart stored up with anger? If so, let me ask you a couple of things. How's that going for you? Is the storehouse of anger actually doing you any good? Does it make you happier that you have these wrongs and you're remembering them? Do you feel better? Does your wife think you're more fun to be with? Do your children always look forward to your phone calls? How's it working? You understand that God doesn't want you to be angry, right? He actually tells us, get rid of all bitterness, Ephesians 4 and verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. God understands the damage that anger and storing up hurts can do to our lives. And He doesn't want you to be angry. And He actually wants to help in this. He actually wants to help in getting rid of the anger. He's he's the creator of galaxies that we have not even discovered. He's the creator of of deep canyons that we have yet to find. Don't you think he can heal your bitter heart? We looked last week at a passage of scripture, Psalm 103 and verse 3, and it says, The Lord heals all of your diseases. You understand that that's what this is, right? It's not a habit, it's a disease. It's a sickness that we have where we feel like we have to keep list of every time somebody said something and every time someone stepped out of line and every time we were hurt and every time they did it on purpose. Oh, you've heard that said before. Usually at t-ball games, right? It's usually at t-ball games. There'll be some child out in the field and usually standing in that circle there in the middle. Some people call him the pitcher. I like to call him target. And so the other kid stands up at the tee and he hits the ball as hard as he can and that ball goes flying right at the person that's there in that circle. And it hits the target. And the other little boy's mom, the hitter's mom, is jumping up and yelling, run, run, I love you, you're the best, run! And then there's the boy's mom of target. She's also sitting in the stands. And she's looking over at the hitter's mom and going, he did it on purpose. He hit him on purpose. I saw him. He was sitting in the dugout. He said, that boy is really ticking me off. (laughs) Oh, we hear it, don't we? Everybody does it on purpose. Every kid that throws a ball, every... Every parent that sends you to the room, every spouse that comes home late, every church member that spouts off instead of being quiet, every person that you work with that has tried to one up you in some way, they all did it on purpose. And because they did it on purpose, we feel somehow that we need to put it in the jar because we're all sick. And so on purpose, we keep a reminder. So let me ask you a question. Do you want God to help you get rid of the anger that you have? Do you really want His help? That's what he would ask the invalid in John 5 and verse 6. He would say, do you want to get well? Because here's the the ugly truth. Not everybody does. Not everybody wants to be well you may be addicted to anger. You might be a bitterness junkie. Your anger might be a part of your identity. But if you want Him to, He can actually change your identity. You can be someone different. I was reminded of this last weekend watching the the play Les Miserables. Many of our uh, young people were participating in it. If you have never seen the play, you might have read the book by Victor Hugo. First out in 1862, considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. Translated into English, it means The Miserable Ones. Now, just to show you that the preacher is not that high in society, when I heard that my daughter was going to be involved in Les Miserables, I was excited, thought that was a pretty cool thing. I'd heard that it had been a, a very popular play. I've just never really been a play or musical kind of guy. And so, she then tells me that everything in the show is singing, there's no talking. And, and I told her, and this is, this, is, uh, this is not a preacher story, this is true. I told her, I said, how is everybody going to learn all those songs in French? And She said, what? And I said, well, it's Les Miserables, That's a, it's a French book, French, you know, play. She goes, well, maybe in France. <laughs> She said, All of our songs are in English, Dad. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, I'm looking more forward to that now. That's, that's good. I, who knew? I mean, you know? So, anyway, there's this play. If you didn't know, there's this play slash musical called Les Miserables. And so this last weekend, I'm watching a production of it. And the main protagonist, Jean Valjean, had been sentenced to 19 years of, of hard labor for stealing bread. And over time, he becomes more hardened, and and he becomes more sour. Finally, the time comes that he is going to be paroled. And during this particular time in history, all convicts were given identity cards to carry, and they had to present those cards. And Jean Valjean found it difficult to find work, and he found it even more difficult to find a place to stay. And so for four days, he wandered the village roads, seeking shelter against the weather. And finally, he found a kind bishop Who agreed to take him in. And I love Victor Hugo's description of the kindness of the bishop. Listen to what was written. The bishop was sitting near him, touched his hand gently, and said, You need not tell me who you are. This is not my house, it is the house of Christ. It does not ask any comer whether he has a name, but whether he has an affliction. You are suffering, you are hungry and thirsty be welcome. We need have—what need have I to know your name? Besides, before you told me I knew it, your name is Brother." What a beautiful picture of grace and acceptance and forgiveness to a sinful person. But Jean Valjean was hardened. He was a criminal after all, and his identity had been known only by a number. His his very personality had been taken from him during his time in prison, even his own name not used. And so, he rises from his bed during the night. He rummages, rummages through the cupboard for the family silver, and then he creeps off into the darkness. The next day, the police knock on the door of the bishop. They have Jean Valjean. They have found him and the silver, and they have come to the bishop to get his response. And the way in which he responded surprised not only the policeman, but also Jean Valjean. When the bishop sees him, he cries, So, here you are. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest, and worth a good 200 francs. Did you forget to take them? Jean Valjean's eyes widened. He was now staring at this old man. There was no expression on his face for him to be able to convey what he was feeling. Valjean was no thief, the bishop assured the police. He says, this silver was my gift to him. When the policeman withdrew, the bishop gave the candlesticks to the former prisoner, now his guest. And he said, do not forget, do not ever forget that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man. He says, I have bought your soul for God. The power of that act of grace transformed John Valjean's life forever. As the story continues, he becomes a hero, a man who adopts and loves and cares for a young girl who loses her mother. But his new life is put to the test when opportunity comes to take vengeance on the police officer who had been his captor and who had chased after him for two decades since his release from prison. The picture that you see here on our screens, this is from the adaptation this last weekend with two of our own, Ross Workman and Isaac Antwine, playing this part out. Ross is there on the right with the gun, having the opportunity to take vengeance now on his captor. Isaac has been chasing after Ross and has been trying to, to again go and claim him and take him back to prison. And now Ross has the opportunity as Jean Valjean to enact revenge, to put his past completely behind him and to put to death the one who is the constant reminder of all the wrongs that he's ever committed in his life. And yet Jean Valjean says, I'm a different man. The man that you are seeking, the man that you have chased after, the man that you are searching for, that is not who I am. And even though he has the opportunity to pull the trigger and take his life, he sends sends the one that represents all of his painful choices away. He sends the one who he remembered The one who had been his captor. The one who had given him so many reasons to store up pain and hatred. He sends that person away and tells him to go and to be free. All because of the grace presented to him by the bishop. The man who said, we do not ask your name here, only your affliction." And so why don't we close doing the same? What is your hurt? What is your pain? What is your affliction? Why don't you write it down? But instead of going and storing it in a jar, why don't you go to a different closet? Why don't you write down your hurt and your pain, and why don't you take it to your prayer closet? And why don't you pray something like this? Pray, Father, I am angry, and my heart has been hurt by the church. Say, Father, I'm angry, and my heart has been hurt by a coach, by a friend. Say, Father, I'm angry, and my heart has been hurt by my spouse. My heart has been hurt by... My mother, my heart has been hurt by my boss. My heart has been hurt by my dad. Would you take this pain away? I can't do it without you. Would you please help me? See, if you've ever been told that time heals all wounds, you've been lied to. It's not true. Time cannot heal wounds. But God can. And so next time those hurts surface in your memory, run quickly to your closet, not to get down a jar of bitterness and wrongs, but instead go quickly into God's presence. Think of Him until the anger passes, and in time, and it's going to take time, there is going to be healing and closure. In the meantime, why don't you replace your jar of hurt with a jar of love? Instead of storing up all of the misdeeds of others and all the reminders of how you've been wronged, why don't you store up instead reminders of love? Why don't you store up the forgiveness that a friend has given you and put that in the jar? Why don't you take the valentine of a child and you take that valentine and and you put it in the jar and you remember that you're loved? Why don't you take the kindness of a stranger, who didn't have to stop, who didn't have to respond, but they did, and you put that in the jar. Fill it up with, fill it up with scripture. Put it on there the Bible verses that we've already looked at, others that remind you of the love of God and the the righteousness that comes from Him, the redemption that comes through Christ. How about the words of a song? writing down the words that speak to your heart and the words that remind you of who you are and and whose you are. Maybe it's the feeling that you had as you watched the sunrise and you saw the beauty of God's creation and you thought if God can recreate this each and every morning, perhaps just maybe He can recreate me. Put that and other reminders of the love of God in the jar. And you store that up put it in your heart and allow it to come out then in your speech allow it to come out in your actions allow it to come out in your frame of mind, allow it to come out in the way in which you see your life and the way in which you react to others we want to give you time to do some emptying today we want to give you time to empty out the hurts from your jar. So Derek has chosen a medley that we're going to sing together, and and we're just going to sit here for a few minutes and sing. He'll, He'll ask you to stand as we start to close out our time. But I just want you to sit, and I want you to go through your jar, and I want you to start perhaps picking out different things that you've held on to. And maybe you need to say a private prayer right there in your seat, or maybe you need to come before this body and say, I need the prayers of all who are here to go to God on my behalf. That I might be forgiven for my anger. That I might be made new. That I might have a new name. Maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ, putting to death all of that hatred and anger. Everything that has been stored up. That person that you used to be. And now be someone else because you've been clothed with Christ. We want to give you that opportunity. So as we sing, you pray. And if you need to, Please come.